Good morning. Good Sunday morning. It's a little cold out there, not going to lie. It's a little chilly, isn't it? Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of the body of Christ that we get to serve God together. Um, you know, we talk about family a lot, that we're a, a family together. And I, I got to tell you that I feel like every week that we live this life together, that God cements that a little bit more. Uh, I watch us care for each other. I watch families um, be concerned for one another. And I, I'm really proud of, of this church family. So keep it up. Uh, keep it up. Uh, when I was younger, uh, I used to get intimidated a lot. I was not this tall. I was never this big. I was actually really short. I was really skinny, and I was small, and I was scared of everything. And so uh, I used to run home from the bus stop every day, uh, which was really exhausting, to be honest with you. Because every day somebody was trying to beat me up or threatening me. Uh, I don't know why I'm laughing. It's probably just a coping mechanism. But I got picked on all the time. And so this idea of, of people coming at me was something I got used to. That's not something you want to get used to, but it is a fact of life. It does happen. And so when there was physical opposition, what would happen is I would like totally freeze. Even after I started doing martial arts, I would somebody with a bigger attitude, um, maybe a louder attitude would come at me and I would freeze. It happened the second time I was ever in a, a tournament. This is organized fighting which sounds ridiculous, but it's what I was doing. So it was a tournament, and this guy shorter than me. He wasn't as good as me, but he had a bigger attitude. He came at me, and I froze. That's how I used to deal with physical intimidation. I also was very fearful. People would talk about me or say things to me. You know, kids are mean, so like junior high years are the worst, right? And they say things to you, and you're like, well, junior high is bad, but wait till you get in to be an adult, <laughs> Their vocabulary gets better. doesn't mean people change. And so, but I was very fearful. I was constantly scared. I was always worried. And then the worst part is when people would attack my character or integrity, me personally, right? And they would say something like, well, I'm going to go tell them this, this, and this. And I knew it wasn't true. There's something that boiled up in me that caused me to want to fight back. Because I was more worried about my reputation or not being able to please others or people finding out something about me. And it caused me to respond and react in a way that was, I mean, obviously I wasn't a Christian then, but even now, like as an adult, as I was growing up, even in my Christian life, an attack on my reputation stirs something in me. Right? I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Do you get fearful? Do you freeze when people intimidate you or say all sorts of hateful, hurtful, and untrue things about you? I think about that. When's the last time somebody attacked your reputation with something that was untrue, that was hurtful, that was meant to cause others to be stirred up against you also? What was your response? What was the, the thing inside you? I don't know, maybe it was fear, maybe it was, maybe you froze, you didn't know what to do, or maybe it caused you want to fight back because something in us says that we don't want anybody to think a certain way about us, right? We're always worried about our reputation. I know this doesn't happen in marriage. Marriage would never would say anything hurtful against one another. Like, I know we would never intentionally push that button, Right? 
Yours too? Okay. We do this all the time, right? Our character's questioned, our integrity's questioned. Now listen, if you're off the rails and you're acting all crazy and they're saying true things about you, that's something altogether different. But when people come at you and try to paint you in a certain light in order to bait you into a response, we need to learn how to do this different because I don't know if you know this. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. The spiritual opposition to Christians is real. The very clear spiritual opposition that is going on is real. And it's attacking the church as a whole. Remember, we talked about this. When opposition comes, we have to have a collective perseverance. Remember that? A collective perseverance. A steadfastness in the midst of all the opposition. But there's something different when it becomes personal, isn't it? We pray, oh yes, I will pray for you. You're having a rough time. I will pray for you. You feel spiritually attacked. Yeah, the church in general is being attacked. I will pray for us. But something happens when there is a very personal affront, doesn't it? Something changes in us, right? And and if we're not careful, what we can do is we can respond to the attack rather than staying focused on where God is calling us and what he's calling us to do. Because the attack is meant to distract us, right? It's meant to distract us from the things that we are meant to be about. Telling people about Jesus making disciples and walking in obedience to everything he's commanded us, right? That's what we're here to do. Tell people the great, glorious news of a Savior who gave us access to a holy God, right, through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, and to make disciples, to teach everybody else how to follow him and to do those things and to grow and to be more like Jesus. And see, the attack causes us to either be fearful or to freeze or to fight, And we've been talking to Nehemiah, we're going to be in chapter 6 today. If you want to turn your scriptures there, Nehemiah chapter 6. Right, chapter 4, we talked about collective perseverance, how they came at them while they were building and they had to push through. Chapter 5, we talked about how lording position and power and wealth is not what we are called to because God gives it to us for a different reason. And today we're going to find out how we deal with personal opposition. When the opposition goes from being a general affront to a personal one. Let's dive in. Nehemiah chapter six. It says, when word came to Sambalot, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in its gates, Sambalot and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Oh, no. Just making sure y'all are awake. It's early. It's good. We're alive today. The word spread that the initial opposition didn't work. Not only did they get the walls built, that all the gaps were filled in, though he says, I hadn't put the gates in place. So there still were openings. The gates had not been placed yet. But the wall was rebuilt to the right height, to the right thickness. All the holes that had been in there, all the gaps that were there were filled in and it was ready for the gates to be finished. 
And remember, the first opposition to the whole people was really kind of nasty. They were like, what are you guys even doing? You guys can't build this wall. Even if a fox jumped on, it would fall apart. And they were just peppering them with insult. And they were coming at them all the time. And there were threats. Right? And the people kept going because Nehemiah, as their leader, was focused and called them to keep going. So what do you do? If, if an affront to the people don't work, where do you turn? You turn to its leader, right? It says you get, the, you know, if you kill the leader, scatter the sheep, right? You get rid of the shepherd, the sheep will go away. Sound familiar? Here's what they said. They started with intrigue. They started with this. They sent them this note. So, hey, hey, we would love to talk. Listen, you're right. We were, we're coming at you. It didn't work. We would love to talk to you about how we can move forward together. This false sense of is basically they were luring him to peace talks and their intention was not to have peace with them at all, right? So they called him to meet with them. You know, here's, here's what they did. It wasn't like, oh, hey, we'll meet you, you know, we'll meet you where you are, which would show that they had intention for peace, right? I'll come where you are. Let's just sit and talk it out. They said, no, we would love for you to come to this place on the Valley of Ono, which was about a day's journey away, and it was on the edge of two hostile territories, Ashdod and Samaria. So they called him, hey, we would love to talk to you. Anybody seen Braveheart? Yeah, you guys know the scene I'm talking about. They're like, oh, William Wallace. Y'all come, I can't do the accent, but you get the picture. They call him, they lure him to try to have these false peace talks and their intention is to kill him. Very similar. This is kind of the picture of what's going on. Here's what he says. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. Nehemiah had discernment. Here's the thing. Every leader, every Christian in your toolbox, you should have discernment. Discernment is the ability to understand something that is obscure to others, right? You see through it. You're looking between the lines. It's not just on face value, but you're paying attention to motive and intent, and you're taking everything in, and you're going, I don't think that looks right. Right? You have to have discernment. Nehemiah had discernment. And so what he didn't say is he didn't poke the bear. He didn't insult them. He didn't try to win the argument. He just said, hey, listen, I can't go down. I don't know if you know this, but I've got this giant thing going on. And I really got to get it finished. So I shouldn't leave in order to go talk to you. If, essentially, look, if you want to talk to me, you know where I am. But I've got this thing that I'm focused on. I can't stop the work that God's called me to. Four times, they sent the message, hey, come down and talk to us. Four times he said, I can't, I've got this project going on. So the intrigue did not work. The luring did not work because he had discernment. Here's what it says. Then the fifth time, Sambalat sent his aide to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written this. It's reported among the nations and Geshem says it's true. <laughs> it's, <laughs> sorry. It sounds so junior high and sophomoric, and yet this is the tactics of the enemy. Not just Nehemiah's physical enemy, but the enemy. We'll get to that in a minute. It's reported among the nations. 
Everybody's heard it. And Geshem, he says it's true too. That you and the Jews are plotting to revolt and therefore you are rebuilding the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us confer together. If you don't come, I'm gonna tell on you. <laughs> That's what Sambalat did. Listen, he fabricates false accusations and a false narrative in order to lure him to these fake peace talks so they can kill him. Now it's interesting to understand it says an unsealed letter. The reason this is important is that when Nehemiah receives an unsealed letter, he knows that not just Sambalot has read it. He knows that it's been read by every single person that it's touched. Whoever's delivering it, there's been many people who have read it. It's on purpose because what Sambalot wants Nehemiah to know is, I'm not the only one that knows it now. He knows it's not true. Nehemiah knows it's not true. But all the other people reading this accusation don't necessarily know. So gossip's going to spread, right? Gossip and rumors are going to spread. Now, the enemy loves to start gossip and rumors. Proverbs says that, Gossip, right? The words of gossip are like choice morsels that go down to our inmost parts. We love gossip, don't we? Jeremiah could start a rumor because he doesn't like me. Jeremiah could start a rumor that I'm trying to, I don't know, I'm going to fire everybody and take over the world. It would be like him coming to me and go, hey, listen, I've told everybody you're going to fire everybody and take over the world. Wayne says it's true. Not only that, but I posted some stuff online about it because his desire would be a Sambalot would to be lure me into this, essentially this fake peace talk. Hey, I want you to do this. And because you're not doing it, I'm going to start some stuff about you in order to get you to do it. Now, in my younger days, somebody would lie about me like that, and I would go step outside. Be like, you can't say stuff about me like that. Do you have that in you? When somebody starts or sows something, and you know they're trying to get at you, but because it's untrue, we have this tendency to want to step into and confront whatever that is, because we care about our reputations, don't we? We don't want anybody to think that that's who I am. I, no, I'm not going to fire everybody and take over the world. What do I have to do in order to stop that from happening? When he realized, when he received the unsealed letter, it was already happening. The word was already getting out. Let's look at what his response is. This is really important. Because when false accusations and false narratives about us, the church, or about me as a pastor come, we have to respond in a godly way, even though it doesn't feel good. Here's what it says. I sent him this reply. This is great. Please don't say that about me. That hurts my feelings. I can't believe you lied about me. Where do you want to meet? Doesn't say it in my Bible either. Here's what it says. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you said is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. See, Nehemiah, he was not distracted. He was not taken away by the lies that were created. He simply said emphatically, no. 
that's not true. I have work to do. And then he prayed. It was a very simple, emphatic truth. And then he prayed. No, Jeremiah, I'm not going to fight everybody and take over the world. Lord, strengthen my hands. He didn't fight about it. He told the truth and he moved on. He continued the direction he was supposed to go without being distracted because he knew that his call was sure. He was confident in what God called him to do and knew that if he stayed focused there, that it was going to be okay. He entrusted himself to God. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of some people I can't pronounce, who was shut in at his home. And he said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. See, when the enemy can't use intrigue to lure you, right, is what they did. And then they tried to incite rumors and gossip in order to break down his character, to question his integrity. That didn't work. They needed to get serious. And so what they did is they had a man on the inside. They had a double agent. They had somebody who was going to try to lure him in and even use the house of God. Does this sound interesting and familiar to you? Think about Jesus in the, the desert. How the enemy used three different ways to try to get him to falter from his mission. Tried to get him to come away from the call of God. And the intent both times was to destroy the man. Their intent was to destroy Nehemiah and so in their mind destroy Israel. It was to destroy Jesus. In so doing, would have destroyed the world. And this is how the enemy was working. And so this false prophet lied to him. And here's what Nehemiah's response was. He said, should a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his own life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. <laughs> Nehemiah had discerned a couple of things. He knew that servants of God cannot help what people say about them, but they can help what kind of character and testimony they have. See, if Nehemiah had stopped the work to defend his reputation or to run away into the temple, they would have been able to discredit him and the work would have stopped because the people would not have continued to follow. God would hardly ask Nehemiah to run when the project of the walls was nearing completion, right? He doesn't call us to some direction and then halt us, right? He sees it through. Second, no true prophet would ask somebody to violate God's law, right? Only priests were allowed in the sanctuary. It's from Numbers chapter 3 and 18. If Nehemiah, not being a priest, had entered the temple, would have desecrated and brought himself under God's judgment, right? And then he would have been able to be discredited. Nehemiah showed incredible discernment. So what does this have to do with anything that we're doing in our life? You will, if you follow Christ... If you decide to walk in obedience to his ways, you will experience personal opposition. There will be lies that are told about you. You're worthless. 
right? You don't have what it takes to go and you'll be lured away by everything that could distract you to start your call and then walk away. This happens all the time. We see it happen all the time, especially to leaders, good, good men and women who God has called, who the enemy has either gotten to run away or to be fearful or to freeze. So what do we do? What do we do when the opposition comes? What do we do when people try to harm our reputation? What do we do when people insult us, when they threaten physical harm, or when they try to get us to be selfish as the third opposition came, right? Come into the temple, save yourself. People are trying to kill you. What we do is we have to learn to stand firm. Stand firm. The reason that Nehemiah could stand firm was because he was convinced that God was in control. He was submitted and surrendered to his will and his will alone. He resisted the enemy. You didn't see him go down there and fight him. He didn't send an army. He resisted the enemy and he entrusted himself to God who he knew would judge rightly, right? He submitted himself to God, he resisted the enemy, and he entrusted himself to God. See, we're not building a wall with sticks and bricks and mortar. We're building the kingdom of God. See, we are all at work building the kingdom of God person by person, right? Sharing the gospel, making a disciple, Sowing seed, sharing the gospel, telling people about Jesus with our words, with our actions, making disciples, helping people walk in obedience as we try to walk in obedience. We're building the kingdom of God person by person by person by person. And the opposition comes, doesn't it? Temptation, distractions, failure. We falter and then the enemy pours it on even more, doesn't he? Right? The, the Bible says the devil's like a prowling lion. He is going to and fro on the earth looking for someone to devour. It's not like this is a nice fight that we're in. Listen, we are in a real battle. It's for the hearts and souls of every person on the planet. And if we're going to manage and deal with the opposition that comes, we're going to have to stand firm. Stand firm. And the way we do that is found in James chapter 4. You can turn if you want to. You don't have to. Here's what it says. It says, you adulterous people, you don't know that friendship with the world, right, trying to defend our reputation, is hatred towards God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives us more grace. Listen, this is why the scripture says God gives, opposes the proud rather, but gives grace to the humble. And here it is, ready? In order to stand firm, submit yourselves to God then. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. The last piece, I like how Peter says it. Speaking of Jesus, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. When Jesus experienced physical opposition, lies and threats and harm, it says he didn't retaliate. Instead, 
When he suffered, he didn't yell at them or he didn't smite them, which he could have. It says he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Nehemiah did it, Jesus did it, and we have to do it if we're gonna stand firm in the face of personal opposition as Nehemiah did. Submit yourselves to God. Submit yourselves to God. Resist. And entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. Rest in the hands of God. This is what Nehemiah did over and over and over again. Here's what I wanna do to finish this. Paul had a similar experience. This is what he says, because if we're going to stand firm and we're going to continue the work of God, building his kingdom on this earth, we're going to have to maintain our focus so that when all the lies and threats and intimidation comes, we can have confidence that we know the way to where we're going. Here's what he says. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it all or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, don't consider myself to have taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do, listen, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Stand firm, church, by submitting yourselves to God, resisting the devil, and resting in him. Allowing your feet to land squarely on Jesus because that's what will give you the firm footing when everything else is trying to lead you off into the quicksand. Father, we pray that you'd help us to stand firm today, that you would help us to submit ourselves to you. God, give us the courage and strength to resist the enemy. And Father, as you cause him to flee, that we would entrust ourselves to you who judge justly, to you who have the last word, to you, God, Help us to care less about our reputations as we honor you than we do about the work you have given us to do to share the gospel and make disciples of all people. We're gonna end our service like we always do, which is in prayer. I'm gonna ask those who would be available to make their way forward. If you need prayer or you just need to be prayed for or you'd like to pray for someone, if you need strength, maybe today you just need to call out to God and say, God, strengthen my hands. We'd like to be available for that. So as we sing this last song, let this be a time where you can come and be prayed for to pray for those who need it the most.